Hi everyone and welcome. Do you know what time it is? Do you know what day it is? That's right, it's time for your midweek Bible study. I'm Pastor Tim with Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas. It's great to be with you once again. Thanks for taking time to join me. Today is Wednesday, August 16th. We're continuing in our study of 2 Timothy, and we're going to begin with 2 Timothy 2, verses 1 to 13, and we're going to talk about Timothy being a good soldier of Jesus Christ and what that means. But before we get to it, let's pray. Gracious God, Almighty Father, Lord, we are so honored to be in your presence to study your word tonight. Please be with us in every aspect of this. Lord, we just love you so much. We want to learn at your feet, so teach us. We are willing and able and ready to go in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen and Amen. Here we go. At the end of chapter 1, Paul was discussing other Christian ministers. Now he returns his focus to Timothy. So turn with me in your Bible or Bible apps, if you're not already there, to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. And let's find out what the Apostle Paul has to say. Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. You have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. Endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life, for then they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. And athletes cannot win the prize unless they follow the rules. And hard-working farmers should be the first to enjoy the fruit of their labor. Think about what I'm saying. The Lord will help you understand all these things. Always remember that Jesus Christ, a descendant of King David, was raised from the dead. This is the good news I preach. And because I preach this good news, I am suffering and have been chained like a criminal. But the word of God cannot be chained. So I am willing to endure anything if it will bring salvation and eternal glory in Christ Jesus to those God has chosen. This is a trustworthy saying. If we die with him, we'll also live with him. If we endure hardship, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. All right, let's get going on this study. This is going to be awesome. Verse 1 reads, Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. Here's our first question. As this verse begins, this is the second time Paul uses yet again a term of endearment when he refers to Timothy. What did he say, and what insight can you glean into their relationship? This is the second time Paul calls Timothy, my dear son, in this letter. Last week, we studied 2 Timothy 1 verse 2, where Paul said, I'm writing to Timothy, my dear son. This theme was also seen in 1 Timothy 1 verse 2 and verse 18. Paul saw Timothy as his spiritual son in the faith. At this time, Paul was an older man, likely in his 60s, and he did not have a wife or children. Instead, he had devoted his life to serving Christ. Timothy was likely the closest thing he had to an actual son. Also in this opening verse, Paul tells Timothy to be strong. What does that mean? First of all, it means Timothy should be unashamed of the gospel, unashamed of his standing as a leader in the Christian church, unafraid of the false teachers, and courageous through hardship and persecution. How? Through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. That's how. How can someone be strong in God's favor? The term implies being helped by someone else, in this case, God. Paul was telling Timothy to draw strength from God as he focused on the favor that he would receive through his relationship with Christ Jesus, and he should use this strength in God's service. 
Next is verse 2. It reads, You have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. The question is, this famous verse on discipleship offers Paul's strategy for passing on the faith. What is that strategy? Timothy heard Paul preach to many diverse people groups. The message Paul wanted Timothy to guard was not a privately shared secret, but an accumulation of public teaching. Here, Paul reminded Timothy that his essential role as guardian meant ensuring that these truths are taught to other trustworthy people who would be able to pass them on to others. Timothy was to keep the process of teaching going. This is a pattern for discipleship. It requires leaders who can carry on the ministry. Since Paul, there has been a link from disciple to disciple, from generation to generation. We must keep that link intact. Paul was telling Timothy to pass on what had been proven to be true and had been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Paul told Timothy to entrust that truth to reliable people who were both loyal to the faith and able to teach. The emphasis was on reliability more than position. Like ripples from a stone thrown into a pool of water, the gospel would spread across the world. When Paul wrote these words to Timothy, he realized that the transmission of the gospel truth to the next generation was passing into the hands of second-generation believers. Up to this point, the good news was being spread solely by word of mouth and the lives of believers. The gospels and various letters written by Paul and others may have been just beginning to be circulated or may have just begun to be circulated, but they were not gathered into a book called the New Testament until many years later. For a while, Timothy had the only copy of 2 Timothy in existence. Part of entrusting the gospel to others was accomplished when painstaking handwritten copies of that precious letter and others were made. If today's church consistently followed Paul's advice, there would be an incredible spread of the gospel as well-taught believers would teach others and commission them in turn to teach others. Disciples need to be equipped to pass on their faith. New believers must be taught to make disciples of others as well. If I may add a note here, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13 read, Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Amen to that. Next is verse 3. It reads, Endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. The question is, in Acts chapter 14, verses 22 and 23, Paul had given this warning in Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. So Paul was returning to a theme that he knew would test Timothy. What is that theme? The theme is suffering. Paul wanted young Timothy to be faithful to the truth and unwilling to twist it for personal gain like the false teachers were doing, and to constantly preach it even against persecution that would inevitably lead to suffering. As Paul had suffered, so Timothy would endure suffering along with him. As we read in Hebrews 13.23, Timothy was eventually imprisoned. Paul then followed with three examples to illustrate the attitude that Christ's followers must have through suffering. The first example is in this verse. What is it? First, Paul wrote of the soldier. Paul often used military metaphors. From the military model, Timothy should learn endurance, purpose, 
bravery, and obedience. Every soldier expects to lose personal autonomy and to experience adverse conditions, so Timothy should expect both hardship and suffering in his ministry of the gospel. Next, verse 4, it reads, Soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life, for then they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. The question is, in this verse, Paul continues with the illustration of a soldier with regards to suffering. What is he saying? Paul instilled a sense of purpose and obedience in Timothy. Here he continues by saying that a good soldier obeys the commanding officer. The soldier's call to service takes precedence over the affairs of civilian life. This refers to any business or distraction that gets in the way of the mission. The phrase tied up means entangled and or absorbed. While this life's involvements are not wrong in and of themselves, they become a problem if the Christian gets so tangled up in them that his or her ministry suffers. In other words, Christian workers, pastors, and or laymen must watch their outside involvements carefully. Business ventures, serving on committees or boards, volunteer assignments, and or home projects can eat up valuable time and energy. Paul wanted Timothy to understand that a good minister of the gospel must have a single-minded purpose, to preach the truth, and if necessary, suffer for it. Verse 5 next reads, And athletes cannot win the prize unless they follow the rules. The question is, in this verse, Paul gives the second example to illustrate the attitude that Christ's followers must have through suffering. What is it? Paul now uses the athlete as an example. A competitor had to know the rules of the event, train diligently with an understanding of those rules, and finally compete according to those rules. Competitors in the Olympic Games of the day also had rules regarding their training. They were required to swear that they had trained for at least 10 months. Only then could a competitor be qualified to enter an event. Every event was governed by rules and boundaries. An athlete who failed to compete within those boundaries faced disqualification. But those who competed fairly were eligible to receive the winning prize. But that makes me think of yet another question. What were the Lord's rules that Paul wanted Timothy to follow? First, we need to be careful not to give the impression that Christians are rules-oriented or legalistic. But we do live under the rule of Christ. We've become athletes by God's grace through faith in Christ. We have accomplished nothing to merit that status, but Christ freely made us members of His team. So we must wholeheartedly enter into training and competition, ministry to the church and the world, representing Jesus Christ in every facet of our lives. Next is verse 6, and it says, and hard-working farmers should be the first to enjoy the fruit of their labor. The question is here, in this verse, Paul gives the third example to illustrate the attitude that Christ's followers must have through suffering. What is it? The illustration is that of farmers. Paul is saying Timothy should learn that physical labor produces results, but only hard-working farmers will enjoy the fruit of their labor, a good crop. The farmer knows that the seed will not plant itself, the harvest will not walk into the barn. The farmer must go into the fields and sow the seed, water it, protect it, and finally harvest the crop. The reward will be a share of the crops for the farmer and his family to eat and the rest to sell. The soldier, athlete, and farmer all teach us the same lesson, to persevere to the end, while we also are helping to understand the requirements for Christian service. The soldier must trust the commanding officer and desire to please him or her so that obeying the commander becomes central even when difficulties are encountered. Pleasing Christ gives strength to endure hardship. 
The athlete accepts the rules of the competition in order to complete the challenge of the game, including its difficulties. The farmer works hard at plowing, planting, wading, weeding, and harvesting and is entitled to enjoy the results. The soldier submits to the officer, the athlete to the code of the competition, and the farmer to the laws of nature and agriculture. The believer submits to Christ Jesus. In him, we have a gracious commanding officer, one who provides an example, one who provides directions for our course, and one who rewards the hard and patient work of his servants. Next up, verse 7. It reads, Think about what I'm saying. The Lord will help you understand all these things. The question is, why do you think Paul is telling Timothy to think about the things that he's been telling him? Might there be a problem here? I think that either Paul was worried that Timothy was not getting the point, or he was confident that the Lord would give Timothy understanding and insight into the wisdom of Paul's words as he reflected on them. We don't know for sure whether Paul wanted Timothy to think about the three illustrations in verses 3 through 6, or to all of Paul's words. The point remains that all believers need to rely on God's wisdom as they reflect on Scripture in order to understand how it applies to their lives. Next up, let's look at verses 8 and 9 together. Always remember that Christ Jesus, a descendant of King David, was raised from the dead. This is the good news I preach. And because I preach this good news, I am suffering and have been chained like a criminal. But the word of God cannot be chained. Here's the question. In these verses, Paul emphasizes two points about Jesus Christ. What are they? The first point is that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Because Christ alone has conquered death, He alone can be our Lord. His resurrection encourages any who suffer that they can be hopeful in Him. The second point is that Jesus Christ is the royal Messiah, the descendant of David. Christ alone has the messianic qualification, and He alone fulfills the promises of God to David that He would rule forever. So Paul stressed Jesus' humanity, showed how Jesus is connected with the Old Testament promises to David, and encouraged all believers to endure hardship because of what Christ has done for us. Paul was chained in prison and was suffering because of this message. He was being treated like a criminal. Next up, verse 10, it reads, So I am willing to endure anything if it brings salvation and eternal glory in Christ Jesus to those God has chosen. The question is, what is Paul saying to us in this verse? I believe Paul is saying that despite his imprisonment, God's word would continue to work, call out to those God has chosen. In other words, those who were believers or had not yet trusted in Christ as Savior. Paul could confidently endure anything knowing that God remained in control. Sometimes suffering has no other benefit than what others will learn from our experience of pain. A woman endures the pains of childbirth for the sake of the child. We must never think of suffering as some form of work of merit to earn our salvation or to work off our guilt or as some form of punishment from God. Although Paul experienced very real pain as he spread the gospel, he focused on the results of his suffering. Others were finding salvation in Christ. So who are the chosen or elect, as some of your translations might say? While the concept of election has generated fierce doctrinal differences, most of these differences come from theological and philosophical points of view, not the Bible itself in this context. Paul indicated that the chosen are those who will receive salvation and eternal glory. Paul makes no claims to know who they are. Their identification falls under the sovereignty of God. For Paul, God authored salvation and commissioned him to spread the word. God knows who will respond. 
Paul was so sure of God's purpose that he was willing to suffer to see that salvation realized. And now to close today in our last verses, we're going to look at verses 11, 12, and 13. Let's read together. This is a trustworthy saying. If we die with him, we'll also live with him. If we endure hardship, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. Our last question today is this. This trustworthy saying, as Paul quoted in these verses, was probably an early Christian hymn or quotation used in Christian ceremony. As such, they contain four unique aspects. What are they, and what do they mean? These verses are what's known as couplets. A couplet is two lines of verse, usually in the same meter and joined by rhyme, that form a unit. Let's take a look at the first couplet, verse 11, which says, If we die with him, we will also live with him. This couplet contrasts death and life, the believer's death to sin at the moment of salvation and the new life begun now with Christ in the world and in eternity. Believers have died with Christ because they've identified with him as symbolized by the sacrament of baptism. The promise is that their identification with him in death means that he will raise them to live with him. The second couplet is in verse 12 and says, If we endure hardship, we will reign with him. This couplet contrasts endurance and rewards. Those who live for Christ may face severe hardship that must be endured. Christ endured and now reigns. All believers who endure to the end shall reign with him. I would encourage you to read Revelation 3.21, Revelation 5.10, and Revelation 20 verse 4 for more confirmation of this. The third couplet is also in verse 12 and says, If we deny him, he will deny us. This couplet reveals that commitment to Christ must be total, no turning back. To deny results is being denied. The Greek tense in this phrase, if we deny, is future. These words provided a solemn warning, but to deny Christ was unthinkable to the early Christians, even in the face of mounting persecution. True believers might be faithless and weak at times. They might falter when giving a testimony, but they would never deny their Lord. And the last couplet is in verse 13. It says, If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. This verse reveals the depth of the relationship between believers and Christ the Lord. This doesn't mean God will reject us when we fail. Humans, by their nature, are prone to failure, and Christians, though born again, are still human. But even when believers are unfaithful, God remains faithful. Believers are secure in Christ's promises, but this does not mean that we are free to live faithless lives. Instead, it should ease our conscience when we fail and allow us to come back to the Father and start brand new. God does not deny those for whom He died, for He cannot deny Himself. Well, folks, that brings us to the end of today's study, a rather short study compared to what we've been going through in recent weeks, but we've been looking at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1-13. to Next time, we're going to study 2 Timothy chapter 2, the remaining part of chapter 2, verses 14 to 26, and we'll talk about what being an approved worker really means. Thanks again for taking time to join me today. It has been an honor to be with you. I'm so grateful week in and week out we have time to share with each other. I hope you have a great rest of your day and week. I'll see you right back here next time. Until then, God bless you. Go in peace. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www. 
www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church. Real people. A real God. Real hope.